<laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 11, Episode 6. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Samuel Jack. Tonight, you'll hear tales of true friendship, unwanted discoveries, undying loyalties, and vegetable vegetation. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the tear, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show's about to begin. <laughs> Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. It's very easy to compare our time together as a meal. We start in with an appetizer, then go on to the main course, and top it all off with dessert. But tonight is special in that regard, because Samuel Jack has laid out for us a collection of tales that might leave you hungering for more. Take our first story, in which two very close friends find themselves in a rough situation. But the real test of friendship is, how far would you go to help them feel at ease? Without further ado, I present to you a wonderful friend. Friends like Quinn Purser were hard to come by, especially in Stone Dirt County. It was one of those spectacular people, the kind you meet once in your life if you're lucky, that knew how to compliment every aspect of you, held a good conversation, shared your interests, and even went out on a limb every now and again just to prove how decent of a companion he was. It was as if the Lord Almighty saw everything missing from yourself formed a fellow who filled every spot. And Quinn Purser was perhaps the best man I'd ever met, and that was precisely the reason he had to die. You may look at me strange, but you ain't never been in Stone Dirt County. Population teetering on the low side of a hundred, harboring only hermits, addicts, bums, and peanut farmers. Now, Quinn and I were prideful in our role of peanut farmers, 
knowing that the alternatives weren't so pleasant. We held no intellect, no more than the common man, or talents beyond that of reaping a good peanut. It wasn't glamorous, but it was pleasant enough. We took to them fields day in and day out, planting our seeds and ripping weeds. We shared the silence, indulged in delightful conversation, and shared every moment of that simple summer and fall. After a long day of sowing our fields, we'd return to one of our homes, caked in dirt and grime, and share a can of soup. No wives, children, dogs, or the like to share our company but ourselves. This was our ritual. This was our life. And we cherished these little niceties and talks all the way until November. See, in November, the grounds would change. The air took a chill, a crisp chill. The green leaves of our land turned to a despicable orange. The bright blues of our skies that we shared faded to gray and left us staggering through an eternal twilight. But more than that, the ground quite literally froze. If I were a smarter man, I'd say it was something wrong with the clay or silt layers that made the ground so tough. Some of the smarter folks in town said it was because of over-farming that took the nutrients out of the soil and turned it to stone. Of course, our mothers told us it was the spirit of the mill owner's wife, murdered by her lover on these lands, that forced the lot to reject life, and that whenever we met the anniversary of her death, she forced us all to see the fate of eternal stillness, just like her. But I don't believe in that nonsense. I think if someone was to be a ghost, they'd be a pleasant one. No sense in staying around if you didn't want to. So maybe that gives you a little idea of why Quinn had to die. See, when you don't have anything to fear going over the side, it's a little easier, isn't it? Like peeking out of a pitch-black window at night. It becomes a little calmer and less unnerving to know that there isn't anything staring back at you from the darkness. At least nothing sinister. Death became a solution to a problem we never thought we'd have. See, there was this winter where the soil truly turned foul. We're talking about breaking a shovel right down the center trough. Damn near nothing could force it otherwise. So, Quinn and I would normally head to one of our houses and spend the snowy winter playing cards and talking like we always did. But this one winter, something fierce was let out of the skies. The snow started on a Thursday, I think. So, expecting nothing more than a few inches, we holed up at my place, sharing soup and stories. After the first inch of snow, we were nearing the end of some of our favorite tales. After three feet, our soup can had run out, and we were using the lit stove to ensure our hands didn't fall off from the cold. After the next seven feet, we struggled to find things to say. It's impossible to be a good talker when you're cold, after all. And after a year of looking forward to our winter talks, I began to grow restless at the thought of losing these precious days to awkward silence. Quinn understood as well. I'm sure he did. We never spoke of the unpleasantness, but if it was clear to me, it had to be to him. You see, when you're snowed in with someone you know that well, you understand their little idiosyncrasies. The thoughts they never knew they had, you see as clear as day. After the first week trapped in that cabin, I could see it on his face that he missed our good talks. When the food ran out, we hardly spoke. We stayed in our corners of the room, solemnly missing our once vibrant friendship. Once upon a time, we would have huddled for warmth. But the sheer animosity of losing our wonderful companionship drove a wedge between us. And when you have no food for nearly three weeks, it becomes easy to want to jump to a harsh decision. I could see it in his eyes. He didn't want to be my friend anymore. Now, the Quinn I knew would have never abided that sort of thought, and I wasn't about to allow this frail version of my friend to end what we had cherished for so long. Beating his head in with my shovel, 
was the kindest act of friendship I think I'd ever had expressed. I'd rather go through all that unpleasantness than burden the rest of our lives with the end of our beautiful friendship. He appreciated it, too, I knew. When I loved like a brother, would have patted me on the back and thanked me for that. One of those small idiosyncrasies I was talking about. Every shiver and cough practically begged me to do it. So, being a good friend, I obliged. You sure, the Quinn, he was now, screamed and tried to stop me, but that man wasn't my friend. He was a liar that took my friend away to a hungry and cold place in the back of his mind. He would have ended our lovely talks right then and there, if it meant a little food. That man was not Quinn. So, hearing his skull crack against the metal plate of my tool wasn't a sound of harshness, but of respect. With every splatter of blood, I could almost feel Quinn thanking me, apologizing for our month of awkwardness. Every fluck of hair that caked the floor was just another reminder that I was the perfect match for Quinn. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. How many friends do you know that would do that for you? No, I was his perfect friend, and he was mine. The only problem was a little too eager to save our friendship. We had barely cracked through the month of December, and the snow had long since covered the windows. And even if I was able to get through the wall of ivory ice, I knew the ground was that of diamond. Any hopes of a grave were fruitless, and the mere idea of one would have had to wait until... Well, at least February. So, using our now-empty crate of soup, I fixed a temporary space for the remains of my wonderful friend to rest. It was a big enough box made of decent wood and sturdy enough to take the body. But getting him into the box took a little work. I knew he'd understand, of course. We all make compromises for friendship and comfort. And to be honest probably had a harder time making him fit than he did getting fitted. After a few good hours of cracking and bending, my dear friend Quinn, he wonderfully fit in the box, even with room to spare. Thing is, though, the condition of his body was a little chill in the back of my head, one that even the cold outside couldn't compete with. Had he still been alive, I knew he would have well, I would have been at least a little disappointed with how I positioned him. I'd argue, though, that the use of his arms and legs were pointless, and the condition of them meant nothing. It was his face, though, that strange face I had trouble digesting. Facing straight up, protruding from an entanglement of his legs and arms, was a concave mass of black, though you couldn't tell any details in his face, through the black smearing of blood and the rot, you could see perfectly every single one of his teeth. Only because of our little compromise, they now speckled through the black blob like twinkling stars in a bloody sky. But I'm sure he understood when I spared myself of that slight by placing a square of burlap over his face. So a few nails later, and my friend Mr. Quinn rested nicely in his box. The next few days, I made up for his lack of conversation by talking for both of us. I spoke of our summer and my plans for the spring. At first, I would sadly have to work alone. 
I mentioned an idea of maybe having a stop by a local taxidermist to compensate for his lack of life. But I said it was a discussion I should have when it warms up a bit. I did have to pause every so often to refresh myself from the smell that emanated from him. But I do believe I was a wonderful conversationalist. I spoke of the weather, the cold, the fire, the box, and even the starry teeth that I couldn't seem to forget. But after a while, the only thing I could think about talking about was how hungry I was. It had been a month since our last soup can, and I could see my ribs through my shirt. I was somewhat jealous of Quinn, who needn't worry any more about warmth or food. But what are good friends for, other than offering solutions to others' problems? I removed a few nails from the corner of the box, just so I could slip in my hand and a carving knife. I was surprised how easily I was able to salvage parts of Mr. Quinn that weren't rotted yet, though it's hard for maggots to get to anything in our ice chamber. Like living in our own personal icebox, I'm sure. A few minutes of the dwindling flame, and it wasn't worse than some of the jerky that we tried last summer. I don't mean to sound unappreciative especially after all of the compromises that he'd made for us. But it took a few good strips for me to keep some of it down. It wasn't the thought of it, no. The qualm of a friend helping a friend never crossed my mind. After all, I'm sure I'd do the same if I were in his shoes. Just the texture was something atrocious, like a thick jelly attached to rubber. But trusting in our friendship and compromises... I swallowed and lasted that much longer. Quinn lasted another month, at least the edible parts of him did. A little into January, I was sucking the marrow out of his bones, though it was difficult. My hands had begun to turn a sickly purple, and it was difficult to get the fine movements to work the knife anymore. After a while, I had to crack more of the lid open, and used what was left of my hands to take what seemed good enough. I made sure never to look at the box, though. That I couldn't abide. There was an understanding between us that compromises had to have been made. But that respect only came through me giving him the space he needed in keeping my distance. There were times where I got a little too close, or take a rib too much, that I'd feel something grab at me. So we had an understanding that we were to respect our compromises and I wouldn't be greedy. Those little idiosyncrasies, see? I knew my friend just needed his space to be the best friend he could. Halfway into January, I lost the feeling in my lips and hands. I used what was left of my black and green amalgams. I hardly be able to call them hands anymore cram bits of Mr. Quinn's rod into my mouth. Once every couple of days, just to ensure my heart would still beat, and to make sure I didn't swallow another bone. I would have choked had it not been for a violent hacking fit I had. Any day, for sure, the snow would melt, and I'd take him to the graveyard and make him a proper home. I'd build a big cherry wood coffin so he could lay out the way God had made him, not this compromised mess he had to be. I'd put pillows and soup in there so he'll never feel discomfort again, and I'd make the lid extra thick so the whispering he did at all hours would never be heard again. After all, it's rude to nod off while someone's speaking, so it had to have been a week since I had slept. I didn't mind, though. It's nice not being the only one speaking anymore. I only regret the burlap over his face. It made it impossible to understand whatever he was saying. Towards the end of the month, the shingles of my roof began to give in. Ice and wind started blowing through the cabin and tearing their sharp whips against my skin. Even though almost all my body was numb, it was still agony. Not long after the roof caved in, our months-long fire died, and the only light came from the purgatory gray of the sky. The walls were useless without a proper roof, and my clothes were so stained with bile and grime that they hardly offered any protection anymore. 
The lumps that were once my hands shook harder than ever before, and I prayed for a bit of salvation. Not even warmth, just some respite from the wind. But without walls, there seemed to be no salvation to the eternal blizzard. I looked for anything, any little compromise I could make to gain some shelter, anything. Then my eyes fell to the almost empty soup box. I had pried enough open for me to crawl in, and I was so thin that I hardly had to shift the lid inside. I crawled in and nudged the lid back into place. The gray light was no more, and my world became black. There is no word for that stench. There is no word for the sensation. It was the farthest extreme of human experience one may ever be able to experience, and it was my only hope. The moisture within the box couldn't be blood, that had long since dried, and I didn't know enough of biology to identify it. But after a few hours, it caked my face and throat. My eyes stung with the saltiness of the air, and my body hummed in its discomfort. Although the majority of the mass from my friend was gone and digested, his sharp remains stabbed into me, and the brushing passes of something that could once be a finger or a foot, sent my skin aflame. Right at the back of my head, the little rattling of twinkling teeth spoke whispers of conversations I didn't want to have. I hated life at that moment. This was beyond compromise. This was punishment. Mr. Quinn knew that. He was my friend, after all. He understood the little emotions I never knew I had. He wanted to spare me of this agony, let me have a break from the cold and pain and hunger. That's what I told myself when I felt what remained of his hands wrapped around my throat and squeeze. The sides of the box were so small, I couldn't even fight back, other than a wasted gasp and a clawing at the lid. But wouldn't you know it, Quinn was kind enough to nail it back into place. As his bones cut into my skin and closed tighter and tighter, I wondered how wonderful a compromise he was making to sit through this unpleasantness and share his space with me, just so I wouldn't suffer anymore. And as the world faded from blackness to nothingness, and my tongue felt ready to pop, I smiled. What a wonderful friend I had. I hope you enjoyed A Wonderful Friend by Samuel Jack, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Samuel dash Jack. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash S-A-M-U-E-L dash J-A-C-K. The four-time published author, Mr. Jack, acts and draws when he is not trying to make you squirm. Follow the link to his website, atallartist.com, or follow him on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave Samuel a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that Otis Jiry sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. All good friendships should be as lucky as theirs. I don't know of how many friends can share a bed without complaining about the smell. That's even when they're alive. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. But let's move on to our next dish of the evening. Here, the flavor is not so much in the telling but in the atmosphere of the place. It's a small town with an upside. No one ever seems to worry about dying. The downside is, where are they all going? For one childhood reflection, finding the answer may not be all it's cracked up to be. Without further ado, I present to you, Life in Lenora. Growing up in Lenora, nobody died. Not in that quiet, dust-flavored hamlet. Even with a humble town like ours, the small sadnesses you'd see every so often were gone, however young, old, or misfortune. Hospital beds lay empty, aside from the drunks, resting off last night's dinner. No, people didn't die in Lenora. They went missing. It was the simple, unquestioned truth of all the natives. When your time with the Lord came to pass, obliged him without answer or curtain call. No hesitation, no credence. No guessing, hemming, or hawing. Just gone. We should have been worried, looking back. But in all honesty, it just felt like the most natural thing in the world. There would be a day in passing, every so often, where someone would drop off the face of the planet. Margie Lefamer was the first I could remember. She would have been my best friend in the world if we had the time to do so. But all Maggie and I shared was a playful game of peekaboo around the monkey bars one day. Just one game. It seems lackluster, given how often I think of her, but every detail of that solitary encounter is etched into my mind. Her delightfully springy hair glowed in the midday sun, and her green jacket made that incessant swishing noise when it rubbed against itself. But when I came back to the playground the very next day, she was nowhere to be found. The swishing had stopped and everyone had moved on. No one mourned, of course, because Maggie Lefemer wasn't dead, just gone. It was easier thinking that than any other horrible thing that might have happened. Gone meant out of sight out of mind, and that's precisely what life in Lenora came to be, the passing absence of answers and questions never asked. When the nice old lady from across the way no longer let out her cats in the evening, the town was quick to pack her things and adopt the kitties. When Barry Whitmore, my school's librarian, no longer was there to set out this month's new read, someone else stepped in. And when Maggie Lefemer no longer graced the playground with her loud jacket, well, the way the Lefemers talk about it, it's like they'd never had a daughter. People acclimated to the strangeness, a sort of adaptation. We never spoke of it over dinner, improper topics over chicken and peas, I suppose. It was done, plain and simple. 
To an eight-year-old, it made sense. I'd heard all these sad stories of funerals and messy hospitals, a whole world of nightmare and pain. I felt sorry for them, in the truest manner a child could at least. All we needed to do was sit through the eventual realization that someone else had not come to work that day. I was fortunate to live in the last place on earth to have never heard of death. Still, there are things that concern me. I could always predict when someone would go missing. I'd get nervous glances or a harmless chuckle whenever I'd bring it up, but I was always right. On more than one occasion, I was the one who pointed out people had vanished, sometimes even before their spouses did. There were wonders if I were psychic or perhaps the reason people were missing in the first place. Yet I shrugged it all off. I wasn't magical or anything like that. No. In fact, all of it was a random connection you made one day. One of those passing understandings that explain, in some strange and seemingly disconnected sense, how the world worked. My connection came in the form of Old Man Schaller's place. See, every town has the house. The great one. The haunted one. The broken, run-down mansion that no one dares go into. The house that stains the memories of so many adults and refuses to let go of that simple, childish fear you developed so early. Well, my house was next to my home, a mere ten feet away. It seems to be the last house in Lenora, made of nothing more than wood and nail. The angles of the house were not built with the knowledge of kindness and comfort. It was a metaphor, perfectly made to say, it could be worse, you know. The grass was stained the color of weak coffee and smelled about the same, though not a blade of brown weed was out of place and not a shutter off its hinge. It was less dilapidated and more haunted, as if all the life that made a house capable of being a home had left. All that remained was a shambling question that no one dared to answer. The old cemetery groundskeeper, Mr. Schaller, lived there for as long as any of us could remember. He was the type of man who folks generally talk about, but never see more than once. Perhaps you'll catch him at a passing glance, should you be wandering the tombstones in the middle of the night. But Mr. Schaller came and disappeared into his crypt-like home, quietly and without notion. As such, such troubling things enticed me. I became entranced by the house, its lack of humanity. Every day and night, every moment I could spare, I'd study the old Schaller place. No groceries, no music, nothing for me to squint as I spied on the house from my window. I could count exactly the number of chips in the paint from my bedroom window. On a still night, the rafters still creaked and groaned, even in the calmest of conditions. And the night before someone would go missing, the lights would always go on. Always. It never scared me. It was a fact of life. When Mr. Schaller's lights went on, someone would disappear. I felt no need to tell anyone already gotten a wide number of complaints and stares after sharing my ability to guess people's absence, so bringing someone else into my weirdness didn't feel right. But when I would lie in bed and see that yellow flickering light spring to life in the window, I would know. It was a secret I shared with myself in the wee hours of the night. I felt almost a sort of morbid glee. Me, alone, the only person on the planet that knew someone would disappear. Children loved secrets, and that was no different. To me, I had the best secret on the planet, and I was proud. I saw nothing wrong with it. Going missing wasn't bad, just inconvenient. So I bathed in that golden light, dwindling and weak, knowing that soon someone's life would change. I never meant for it to be mine. It had been several years since Maggie Lefemmer taught me the fate of people in Lenora, and I'd spent the last night basked in the rancid light of Mr. Schaller's premonition. 
I sped down the stairs and eagerly bounded into the kitchen, wanting to guess who was the missing winner of the day to my parents. Only the idyllic scene of my mother making flapjacks and my father adding his fourth packet of Splenda to his coffee wasn't there. Instead, it was simply my dad sitting alone at the table, coffee nowhere in sight. Where's Mommy? I asked, still holding on to the small optimism that I could share another morning with her. He looked up at me. I think I'll remember that face until the day I die. It was the face of my own father, racked and ridden with the deepest grief a human can experience, and to have completely accepted it, an eerie calm drilled into the facade of horrific disgust. It was an unnatural face, not meant to be worn. It was the face of Lenora, and I understood what it meant. Mommy's gone. Go get breakfast. Without another word of explanation, he continued with his coffee and fell deeper into that sickening face. It would be the face I would see all day. That pity. The sort of understanding people think they have just because they get to watch you go through something awful. The head nodding, the buck up, the tight-knit smile they throw in your direction as you pass, as if it were some scrap of nourishment to a starving dog. They thought they were being kind, being obstinate and plain. But every time I closed my eyes, I saw the horrid face of Lenora. I saw the flaccid, emotionless void the people had become. And worse, I didn't see my mommy. There was no hint it was her. There was no sign or premonition. It was sudden and clean, and left me wanting more. Not just more, wanting anything. I wanted a bloody hospital bed, or a fallen piano, or one of the million horrible excuses the rest of the world had to be sad. But I had none. My mommy was gone, and that may have been worse. All that filled her void was the pretending... The uncaring niceties people gave me that day. I prefaced that day because I knew the moment someone else had gone missing, everyone would forget who my mom was. But I wouldn't. I couldn't forget. I needed more than gone. Even if she was dead, I needed to know. But just like everyone else in this town, there was no clue or trace, at least none that most people would find. But I wasn't most people. I was the one who made a connection no one should have. I was the child of a missing mother. I was the one who saw the light go on and knew what it meant. So when the end of that day finally conceded and fell behind the edge of town, I sat and waited for old man Schaller's light to come on. That would be my signal to the truth. The light would guide me, for better or worse, to my mommy. So, when the clock struck half-past midnight, and the amber bulb glowed once more, I felt no fear. I knew my mission and vowed to stick to it, no matter what happened. After all, who was to say the kind of man Mr. Schaller was? There had always been rumors about Lenore's resident ghoul, but none proven past gossip around a campfire. Words got thrown around like monsters. Boogeyman. Then there were stranger ones, the parents would whisper, in the back of rooms to each other like cannibal and saddest. But to me, he'd always been the graveyard keeper. Sad, alone, and just a little too quiet. And that was until Mommy went missing. Now he was my only answer. Whatever the truth may be, I knew all of this had to lead to him and the gray house we'd feared. I trotted through the mustard grass, its dead blades crunching under my foot, and climbed the rotted steps. Thinking back on it now, every creak and groan of the house was telling me to turn around, to go back. Maybe I was imagining it. Maybe I was wanting something to stand in the way of me, stop me from finding the truth too soon. But no, no force of nature could have stopped me from reaching the porch. The door was locked, yet that stood no chance against me. 
Fortunately, the sideboard had rotted through the years of miskeep. After a few good minutes of picking away at the damp wood, the latch swung open, and without a word, I entered the gray house, never to emerge myself again. My first horror was the realization that it wasn't a house, at least not a real one. The huts and innards of the structure had been ripped away or merely not built. It was impossible to tell. The entire house, it seemed, was a giant cavern, devoid of rooms or halls. The roof could be seen, towering and entangled with exposed wire. The sole bulb hung by a hair-thick strand of cable, dropping nearly forty feet from the ceiling. Its yellow beam barely clung to the little details of the structure. The bare wood, the frayed wiring, and the rusted copper were just noticeable. But for all the light was worth, it seemed its talons were spread too thin. Such a massive space, all those small details seemed to go unnoticed. The chill in the air, the grit of the dirt floor, and the single grate in the middle of the room. It looked like one of those old-school sewer grates, cast iron and all. A gold padlock glowed against the side, almost mocking the rest of its gothic exterior. Being curious and starving for answers, I approached my only detail, hoping this grate would answer something, whatever it might be. I heard the chittering first, like rusty nails rolling around in the dark, the sound of grinding and crawling, echoing from deep beneath the cage door. It was intoxicatingly horrid. To me, it was the worst noise in the world, but absolutely indistinguishable. Needing answers, I peered over the side. As I craned my head, the noise grew louder. When it came to be that the scattering felt like it was coming from inside my head, my eyes began to adjust to the dark. If I squinted real hard, I thought I could see. What are you doing here? I swung around to see Mr. Schaller standing at the door. He looked taller than he normally did, or maybe I just never noticed. His brown coat scraped against the dirt floor and traced small designs in the soil. His scraggly beard looked manic in the low light, absorbing any detail of his face so that he was a simple, indistinguishable mass of lines and shadows. With his paperboy hat kept low and bent, I couldn't see half of his face. Yet his eyes were perfectly white, seemingly glowing in the pitch blackness of his face. It wasn't enough to say he looked like the thing parents and children feared. He looked like fear. He was a living nightmare, and he blocked my only exit. What are you doing here? He asked again. Looking at his hand, I saw a rusty trowel. Unassuming, plain, but in the hands of someone who you didn't trust, I wasn't about to approach him. Unluckily, he spared me of that and came closer. As he spoke, wisps of spit hit me and stung my skin. He smelled like nickel and cigarettes, but whatever fear this man instilled in me was nothing compared to my curiosity. Where's my mommy? I said, less of a question and more of a demand. There was no doubt that Mr. Schaller took her, but I wanted her back right then and there. I didn't care how. I missed that determination, how something could have been so simple, so easy as bring my mommy back. That would be the last simple thing in my life. Your mommy's gone, he said. We were long past the game of pretending he didn't know who she was. But this was just as bad. Mommy was gone. Maggie was gone. One day I would be gone. That was all anything in this town amounted to. Gone. I was tired of that I wanted something other than the ending Lenora gave me. I wanted more than gone. Your light only turns on when people go. You do something to them. He looked at me, wider-eyed than I thought was possible. I wondered who was more terrified, he or me. I was too far now to back out, so I continued. I don't care what you do to them. 
I just want my mommy back. He stared at me for a good while, then shook his head. Silver strands of hair crept out from beneath his brim and cast white shadows against the shadow of his face. I told you. His voice was low and crackly like a record. Your mommy's gone. Go home. I won't tell them what you did to her. I don't care what happened. I just want something better than gone. My voice began to tighten as my eyes filled with tears. Against my eyes, the face of Lenora flashed against Mr. Schaller's, and I began to prefer his. At least his was genuine, real, better than a gone. He grabbed me. I wanted to scream at first, but no sound emerged. Yet it was unneeded. After a few seconds, I realized he wasn't about to hurt me, but just held me in place, forcing me to focus on him and only him. He took away the world and filled it only with his voice. Gone is good. You don't want the other option. His face changed. It wasn't that of a nightmare, but of a man who lived in one. It was the exact opposite of the face of Lenora. He looked too real, too understanding of the way the world worked. Anything is better than this, I said. My throat burned from the truth. I refused to look away from the understanding eyes of Mr. Schaller and vowed I wouldn't leave until I knew what was worse than gone. He let go and stood up. He was nearly three times my height and blocked out the only light in our dismal cave. After a moment, he reached into his pocket and revealed a small gold padlock key. Taking his own time, he walked around me and kneeled at the grate. As he entered the lock and turned to clasp, he said, When my father went gone, I thought I wanted to know, too. I thought anything was better than the question. But there were much, much worse things. I approached him as he swung the grate open. The clang of the lid hitting the soil rang out like a death bell and chilled my soul. The indistinguishable sound became almost deafening. I could hear it in my eyes, my teeth, my very bones. And as I began to peer over the side and stare deep into the dark well, I asked, Like what? The answer. Five seconds. I looked into that hole for five seconds and knew all too well the truth. Five seconds, and I agreed. The answer was worse. She was there, almost as far away from me as the yellow bulb was. She still wore the nightgown Daddy had gotten her for her birthday, but it was torn and stained. I don't know with what. She couldn't stay still enough for me to see. Mommy didn't sound like herself anymore. It was a hollow croak that seemed to never stop. Her skin wasn't hers anymore, what was left at least. It was paper white like Mr. Schaller's eyes. She almost glowed in the pit like an angel, but angels don't look like that. Her bones were wrong, pointing in bad ways. Her arms were black from trying to call up the sides. Back to us. Her head was so twisted that I couldn't tell which way she was really facing. All she was was a mess of white and limbs "'swarm by blotches of moving, squeaking black. "'I didn't have a word for what the blobs were, "'but they were all around her, radiating in a bad noise. "'But as one blob climbed on Mommy's shoulder "'and began to crawl into her hollow mouth, "'I found a word. Rats. "'Mr. Schaller pulled me back before I could see any more. "'I didn't cry, and he didn't ask why.' I don't know why I didn't scream. Maybe what was left of my innocence still wanted to protect me. Though I doubt any was left. Shaken and horrified, he held me as I stared blankly at the only thing I understood. A single, hanging ball of light above us. What's wrong with Mommy, I asked, not wanting any more answers. In her sleep. That's the best way to go, or so I hear. 
She only takes the critters a few more days before she's gone. Gone for good? Gone for good. That's better. It was on that night I understood. Here in Lenora, we don't understand the sadness of death. We don't share in the pain others do. That certainty of someone being gone. Because on that night, I understood no one truly ever goes. Because here in Lenora, the dead don't stay dead. At least that's how Mr. Schaller described it to me. Just like the old graveyard keeper described it to him, and so on. It's the dark secret the Crypt Keeper must keep. Because after that night, I never doubted why people would be more willing to accept gone than back. It was our job to make sure all those little accidents and sadnesses out in town had just become little questions that never got answered. It was an agreement with hospitals and nursing homes to be discreet and quick. And the realtors who looked at the gray house in the corner, thinking it would be a nice renovation, were told to move on and ignore the sounds that came from within. Because after a few days with the rats, the noise would stop, and everyone could go back to asking themselves why, happily never wanting an answer. Mr. Schaller taught me the best he could, how to lower them into the well, how to lock it up, and how to ignore the sounds. Looking back, I don't know why he let me see my mommy that night. Maybe he wanted someone to share the truth with. Maybe he couldn't handle another face of Lenora. Maybe it was the fault of an old man wondering who would care for him after he was gone and back. So that's what I became. The next rung in the ladder. The next answer to a horrible question. The reason Mr. Schaller was never heard from again. Now, I'm nearly the age Mr. Schaller was when he met me that night. Yet there's no one who comes to be my apprentice. Not since I fixed that front door. So all I have left to savor are the memories of so long ago. It's funny how often I think of that night and notice new things. Little details that stand out to you like a light in the dark. I'm too weak now to lift my head from my bed, but I'm sure I hear something at the other side of the door. I guess it's one of those little mistakes you realize. Kind of like how you can go to work a million days in a row and still leave your keys on the table, or forget to let the dog out, or how after all these years, I could have forgotten to lock that golden padlock. What a little detail, but with the sound of gnawing, a hollow moan on the other side of my bedroom door. I don't wonder what's on the other side. As the door creaks open, I know what stands at the foot of my bed and agree once more with Mr. Schaller. Sometimes the answer is worse than the question. I hope you enjoyed Life in Lenora by Samuel Jack, as performed by yours truly. If you've enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Samuel dash Jack. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash S-A-M-U-E-L-J-A-C-K. Beside the usual chance to follow him on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, you can take a look at his other talents. Maybe ask him how to draw you a little something, or watch him take the stage for a play or two at atallartist.com. Not everything has to be spooky, but it certainly helps. As a reminder... If you decide to give tonight's talented author's story a read, please consider leaving him a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote. Be sure to let him know you heard about him here on this program, and that Otis Jari sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm sure Samuel would very much appreciate it as well. Thanks again for your support of this show, and of tonight's featured author. Now, 
before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you, personally, for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as five bucks a month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me as well on YouTube at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find my releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway?
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.